Hi, you're listening to Oh Hey Heather, Tell Me a Story. Real stories, real experiences, by real people. I hope you enjoy. I am just sitting in a chair on my deck on a yet still muggy but much better than it was today 90 day heat wave summer but I still welcome it taking in the birds squirrels little suburbia critters I have the most beautiful oak tree. I don't even know how tall it is. It's 100 feet. It's huge. All my flowers are freaking out and growing because of all this weird rain and sun and heat. Thriving. It's beautiful back here. It's like an oasis. And I was thinking, you know, I'm helping, like, co-company uh, up that builds finished backyard offices and they drop them off. And I've been in charge of the marketing of it. And I'll tell you what, some days I just, it's, it's a um, part-time, part-time, part-time even though it's the coolest thing ever. And I think it's so neat and fun and how fun And I look at this oasis and how beautiful it is. And I thought, you know, I'm technically in like a, whatever you'd call it, executive senior manager, blah, 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 blah. I hate all this stuff. Whatever. I do pretty well for what I think and what I do. And I'm still, you know, in a modest 17 hundy. Three bed, two half bath, beautiful, cute little suburbia. But oh, I got beautiful trees and privacy, and so appreciative of that. Even though I have colleagues that have done much better with their management of whatever it is they're managing, but I've analyzed that a lot and rethought that a lot and think about it a lot because now that I'm at a place where I really don't know what is to come and what is to happen, but I know that I feel we're all more aware and apparent of this being our time on earth and what we do with it that has made us all rethink and ponder and rethink again. And My heart goes out to all of those that haven't had the support systems they needed to adjust and adapt to what we're facing now or been subjected to all of the gaslighting and brainwashing and crazy messaging and twisted trusts and silliness of hypocrisies of common sense and critical thinking laying on top of emotional intelligence to understand that we're all being screwed and yet this oak tree seems very real to me so I do believe we are here and that this is our place and that we are all here together to 
make a decision on what we want our together to be and I just want to be a light a witness and experience and I started thinking about it you know I think about resumes and oh you know you look at jobs and you do job searches and you're like oh what do I want to do how do I want to socially contract myself to somebody who will oblige me to how they control my time so that I may complete their objectives and goals to allow them to incorporate more success in the hopes that I could possibly advance or get higher up or maybe even dare I say get freaking fu money and uh then you realize we've all been indoctrinated to chase the money to mark the success and you're like that's like a whole nother day of sitting here on the patio just staring at the trees (laughs) listening to the birds and wondering what 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 turned down for what and it makes me excited because I feel like the more I'm challenged to think through something to find peace and calm with it the more I'm apt to apply it in other ways that help me further navigate this place and seek the journey that we all do which is of enlightenment and utmost some type of happiness joy I mean isn't that what you're all seeking life liberty and the pursuit of happiness is true it really is I believe that to be true so clearly and identified and yet we all live in a world where others decide for us what that defines us and is us as a place where we happen to just end up by zip code or birth it's it's rather bigger thoughts I know but I find that sometimes when you understand what motivates others to hurt others you'll understand what motivates you to make sure it doesn't happen and find that solution whatever it may be and for all I got right now it's I can give you 50,000 doom and gloom reasons of why I'm wondering just how long this facade of backdrops and Hollywood stages will last. And yet I'm also humbled in peace to know that there's enough of us together that by finally realizing to just get past all the bullshit, clean it all out, get it out of your head, don't let them live rent-free in your brain, just get it out and find the joys and the pieces and the things that fuel you and the things that you can do to contribute to the bigger picture. Like, we all have so many skill sets and things and every job and role is critical and how do we do that to thrive as a community and live? I know I could probably afford a bigger house. I know for sure I could. (laughs) We joke about that with my husband all the time. I don't know if it's that lack of self-awareness I've mentioned before that keeps me thinking I don't deserve things, so I don't go for the price, but I go for the work. And that's okay. And then there are parts of me that think I have this thing where I just... I'm too afraid of what money can do to jade you or taint you. So I always make sure I don't have enough of it so that I'm always somehow authentic. I don't know. Who knows? It's so deep and weird and thought process. But needless to say, I have these wonderful thoughts and discussions. And I did get confirmation that my Aunt Sherry is going to have her next podcast with me. 
and share some of her stories that are so inspiring and beautiful and motivating. See, she was a hospice nurse as well as a delivery nurse. Those were her two nurse specialties before getting into neurology. And she's ready and we're going to talk and she's going to tell us stories of what she experienced when people have transitioned, what she's experienced when people have found Jesus. And she's going to tell us about how she sees people leaving sadly and where she feels our systems are wrong and how we can improve them and where we've lost critical skills in nursing and expertise. And she's going to share all of that with you and more. And I want to focus on that. I want to focus on good and experience and light. But back to the resumes, I was thinking, if you list your experience, you know, we usually just list our experience of what our job was, what our title was, and how long we were able to hold it before we either left or were told to leave and ended that social contract of obligation. And we don't necessarily talk about what we learned from it or what we walked away from it or what we knew to do or not to do instead of what we tasked out for ourselves. And I was like, what if you had like a life resume and you were like, uh, spent 30 days in teen treatment, spent a night in jail, lived through parent divorcing, um, had promotions, passed GED and didn't even have to take the essay, um, passed blah, blah, blah with flying cover colors, uh, moved up with no education on your resume for 10 years. Like, experienced miscarriages, lost loved ones, gained loved ones, blended families come together, uh, met new people, traveled to new places, saw new things. You know, I always think people talk about, oh, they squandered their money. You know, I don't squander my money. I've always lived in a means of just being you and happiness. I mean, yeah, sure, I may not be very conservative with what all I put in my retirements and 401ks or whatever, but I try to be ready in case something breaks or something fails or I lose my job. You know, the reason why I don't buy a house I can actually afford is because I want to make sure I can afford it if I'm a waitress. And why not? I'll make it the best, coolest, neatest oasis of a place it can be. It doesn't have to be huge and expensive. It can just be mine and paid for. And then I can have a little bit more say in what I do because I don't have all the FU money, but I want to have enough FU money that if my friends call me and they want to go have dinner and I end up finding out that I've had three dinners that week, I can swing it. If I find out my kid needs help with a down payment on something and they give me a call and I need to drop a K or whatever, so I'll be like, yeah, no problem. Where do you want me to deposit it? It's fine. And I don't have no regrets. If I want to go to Mexico, I'm going to go to Mexico. And now, sadly, I'm in a place where we're living where you, you're you thinking twice about it. You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know when you're going to travel. You're not going to know when you're going to see that family or pop in on that place because everything's soaring past me now. I thought I was doing good and I thought I was doing great. And I'm glad I did because otherwise I'd be upside down. And right now I'm like, all right, we're getting by. I can still afford 
ground beef and a commute to work a couple days a week. But tell you what, that back office in the backyard, if I knew a company was going to offer me that and say, all you got to do is run a 30 plug amp to it or get a solar panel, you know, and it's your place and you can sit in there and it's gorgeous and you got sunlight and prettiness and quiet and heating and cooling. Heck yeah. Sign me up for that contract. Anyway. I'm going to be the light. I'm going to be nice. Try to help others see that it's all a big, weird, sicko charade. And we can get this together because there's minority. What's that movie, Ants? Go watch, like, the Ants from Disney, even though Disney's pedophilia land now then I don't care I still want to try and hold on to the treasures I knew to be true and that would be to go watch the movie Ants and realize that we're being run by a bunch of mean grasshoppers a bunch of dicks we can get past this and help I want to end Gotham I want to end all these negative cities and tents and homeless and all that mental health all that we got enough money in this country and resources. If we would just lock it all down and figure out how to clean our house before we have the party, I guarantee we could make sure that everybody in the, had an American citizenship would be taken care of, cared for, as they should be. As And then once we get all of our people taken care of, that's when you expand out and you start helping all the other countries and you help them heal and you help them get fixed. I want a global healing, don't get me wrong, but right now you got to start in your backyard. you got to clean your backyard up and our backyard's America. Let's go. Thanks. And there you have it. Another episode of Oh Hey Heather. I hope it has made you think of a story of your own or how you could relate to this one. Or if anything, just something you could enjoy. Thanks everyone and have a great one. I do want to say when we do this though that I have to say Aunt Sherry's on here because I did a last recording to Bree and everybody which I always say that I'm just doing this so that I'm recording it for my kids to hear one day but anyway I the last one I did I said I was going to have Aunt Sherry on and that would be my next one and I wouldn't have another one until she was on it so no, no pressure <laughs> no, just, you just gotta forget it's on but I was, when Mark, I was telling Mark that I was going to come down here and we were going to record this together. And that's why he's all for it. That's why I wasn't worried about it getting too late tonight. But I was laying there and he even said, he goes, so do you like doing that? Just, you know, doing the recordings. And I said, I said, I know it's silly, but yeah, I do. I like knowing that I have a part of me that things that doesn't normally get captured in someone's life I mean it's kind of odd that you have recordings of yourself or your just general just thoughts talk randomness Mm -hmm. and then if anything would ever happen my grandkids and my kids and everybody can maybe listen to them and learn a little bit more about where they come from because I was even thinking about like all of our relatives and stuff like how you help me fill in the dots with family because you've got another generation ahead of knowing people that I didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. that it's a good way, especially with the kids all being spread apart, like Adam's kids or, you know, 
Tennessee and they got them in West Virginia that this could be a way of keeping people connected with stories. So anyway, I said, yeah, I, I like doing pass it. That on. Like even that is something that all families should do. Mm-hmm. That's why I want to get Grams on here too and let her tell her stories because she gets so excited when she tells her stories and they're good ones. There's so much of it too. See, people do that, but they don't do it until people die. Mm-hmm. And then they sit around and that's what they talk about. Exactly. And then you're like, dang it, why didn't you do it before? <laughs> yeah. Or like, we didn't even know that about her. Yeah. Or him. I was looking at Grandma so Viv's. Um, keep that. Well, like that. journals. That's why I think journals are good yeah. too to pass on. Yeah. You could sit and read something mm-hmm. that was written. And... I've put a lot of notes in the one you bought me. Remember you got me that journal? Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of them. That I write a lot of things in about. Well, it said in Grandma's yearbook that she wanted to be a beautician. And I never knew that. I would have, If you would have asked me what she was going to be that, I wouldn't even have... Did she even work? Did Viv ever work? Mm-mm. She got married Maybe and so. she stayed home with the kids. And You think of those days, how different that was. Yeah. Women she never just, drove a car. You just get married. Yeah. But you know what? I really wish we could get back to a one-income household. I like the idea that it could be either the woman or the man, whichever works out to be the best, you know, for the family, the way to balance it. But mm-hmm. I really, this has really helped me realize that, that I just, I lost a lot by playing that rat race game with everybody had to work and then you had to get a better house and you have to get the cars and. I mean, not that it's not, it's, you know. It's not what the, it's not what the good things are made of, though. No. You know, it's It's that. It's this stuff right here. Yeah. Like, times like this. Together. with your kids growing up, like, you meant, they're so, it's so quick. Yeah. And you think family at home, you know. I watch Eric with the boys a lot, and I'll feel like, I, I just love that. Yeah. And then they're home all the time, homeschooled. And, and Abby, too, you know, they're good. And they mm-hmm. and I'll watch the kids. It makes me feel sad. Like, Eric didn't get that growing up, you know, with Dad and Mom. And, you, you know, know though. I mean, it's sad because it is the best because they're getting See, I feel like we so all had a good much. childhood. I think that's what kept us sane today <laughs> was that those first uh, – how many years? I don't know. Mine, for me, it was like the first 10, 11 years of my life. Were... I know, but I think if you're a woman who's in a marriage where you, you're you secure in yourself, your marriage, and the man that you're with, mm-hmm. then you can just put so much energy into being a mom and a mother yes. and running a, ho- a home. But what <clears> happens <throat> when you're in it, like, like when I look at myself thinking I was so young, too, and Tony, like a man like that, like you're, you're I'll remember ways that like, you know you're not secure in yourself and you're trying to please him all the time mm-hmm. and like feeling inadequate so then as a mother you're I mean not that you're you're you know I was a good mom and mm-hmm. did with him and took him places all the time you know me and that was always me and the boys yeah but I'll look at it and think like oh how nice that would be you know a really good husband a man that's mm-hmm. being a good father and that's the way it was meant to be and it all makes sense and 
that gives kids so much like to work with in their life and the tools to you know having yeah. a mommy and dad and that home is happy yeah and people are you know you're laughing <clears throat> Eric's always joking with them boys and they're all laughing and it's just <laughs> awesome to yeah that whole you know seeing a seeing two parents regardless of what that makes them up is but seeing that happy balanced good family and support or being single mom and single like you no. just feel like it's hard and then you're working and I know you know what I mean Making oh and it was just me and everything Bree. falls yeah. on one person yeah and that's harder but it was also those times though too were different but I would take her to school, and then I would take the morning uh, brunch to lunch shift at the Whistle Stop Cafe, waitressing, and then I would go home and shower, and then I would go work at the the state, the juvenile detention facility. I would work there and do like a 2 to 10, and she'd ride the bus home and be with my mom in the evening, and then I'd do that three nights a week. Yeah. And that's hard. Like, you mm-hmm. think what it would have been if you was with this good if man I had a relationship yeah that you were secure in and then which which it, now I have because I have Mark and the yeah. boys you know I got to start over with that so yeah it's a night and day but I wouldn't trade me and Bree's days together just me and her for the world that was a precious precious chapter a lot of work though I think it makes you like you it's hard how long have you been a nurse now thirty two years so you I had you had to go through like clinicals and all that I before the internet with with two kids being a single I can't mom even remember it's like nuts. the year I graduated nursing that's awful how long I was telling Bob I gotta find that picture i have your graduation photo when you became a nurse um, yeah, i gotta find I have, it i have that or i have one with like the whole class the Do group you? that i went to school with yeah in your white hats you wore the white hats and the white uniform and yeah. the hose and the shoes you had your pin i lost my nursing pin i had to get the cheap one it was a silver one everybody had gold ones but they were too expensive and i so I had to just get the little silver one. <laughs> then I lost it. Well, it's a good thing it wasn't coat. the gold one then. <laughs> I lost it on a lab coat. It was on my lab coat at a health fair I did at the High Valley Mall. Mm-hmm. And I think I left my jacket there a long, long time ago. My phone does that a lot. It'll just do that even if I don't get anything on Yeah. I don't know. I just want to go back and do it over again. Because you could do, I could do so much better. What? I just think of every time you tell me stories, all the different lives you touch, and all the wonderful things you've already accomplished. It's pretty cool. I don't know. 
How long? Maybe wait. that was my purpose. Sometimes I think that about your purpose. So maybe that was my purpose. And it, does your purpose just end? Like I think, I think Grandma Sue's purpose was working with the people she worked with in it, all them years at Carver School, the Brook mm-hmm. County Opportunity Center, and then Shiloh. And then it's like, so did she fulfill her purpose and then that's it? You know, that's a great maybe question. Maybe you don't have a, <clears throat> maybe your purpose is, you know what I mean, is only so long. See, I don't know. Maybe you're supposed to rest. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic question because, because I could say, I could see the other side of it too, you know, of it, that would then mean there's no purpose left, which would be sad because I think there's still a purpose. That's why you're here. You know, like grandma still has more to fulfill and more to, but does she? I don't know. Is it, is it something passing down or a touching of something else? I I don't know. Like I, I, that's a, like, because like, it makes me think of the Napoleon Dynamite. Remember the Uncle Remus guy? He peaked in high school. <laughs> like, like, surely not that, because then it's all downhill from there. No. No, I'm saying <laughs> after really a lifetime. Yeah. Of a whole career. Like, for her, yeah. she, did, she started at Carver School, you know, young. Mm-hmm. And I think she fulfilled. That was a purpose for her. You know what I mean? She really... <clears throat> And it still gives. I mean, when she did a lot of good there, and yeah. a lot of there's there's still a lot of people that you know. I think about Melba and people that still she fought for her. Really went to court for her. Did she? She did. <clears throat> Melba had a was living with her sister-in-law and brother, and had her in this little room or something in their house and Melba wanted to go live at Shiloh and they mm-hmm. were kind of fighting it a little bit because they they, they got her check get her check and my mom kind of got in there and fought about you know it's her decision and she wants to and the sister-in-law kind of come up against Graham's and she was just like she mm-hmm. didn't back down and, and she got to move in there and was so happy and then, then she wanted to get married, and then they didn't want her to do that. And Graham's fought that they should have the right to. And she married that first husband. Look and then he Graham's. died a year later, or two years later. Aww. Charlie. He had leukemia, and he died. And Melba was so sad. And then her second husband dies, and she was so sad. Oh, that was when she was yeah. crying. I, I broke my heart. That was her second husband, and she lost. And look at Melba. She, look, she had a baby to her father. I didn't know she had a baby. She had a baby way back when she was young, and one of the family members took it. But she was got pregnant by her father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One isn't the father the reason why they were mildly you know, had MR because of well the mother was, was beating them. The mother was mentally retarded, so she was raised because <clears throat> they said she actually didn't have it so much as that she was the environment she was raised in, being raised by. Oh, I got you. A mentally retarded mother and and being whatever, raped by your father and brother or breeding and his children. Weird brother, like Eddie. Remember Eddie? You don't know Eddie. I remember. That's sad. I can remember him walking around in a jacket, this big jacket, and he was real. He had like microcephalic. Something was wrong with him. He had a little, real little head. Like they have the microcephalic 
incest too maybe I don't know yeah but yeah poor Melba look at her life she'd those, be fun she'd be things. fun to have on here though because she, I've I enjoy listening to her tell her stories because they're just so just genuine I don't know like they're vulnerable yeah and humility and so but yet there's this joy in her like I mean she when she was explaining how her husband died and she was crying and sobbing on us and then boom you know here came um journey and she's petting on that puppy and loving on her and smiling and just like back to happy because they know they I think have no they know what what creates joy yeah or you know the old saying about how you get you don't really know like your your level of joy is only increased with a higher like your level of sorrow kind of like a spectrum like the deeper the hurt the better the joy you have more reason to have joy if you never have sorrow you know it it actually isn't a blessing it isn't a good because sorrow increases joy and Mm -hmm. it makes sense people like things that's why i always say i think the people who go through the hardest things and they just have a depth of joy in their character that other people don't don't have a clue Mm -hmm. so they can be there's a song by Laura Laura Story called um, Blessings in Disguise and it's a really nice song about that is it that the those troubles and problems and all that that's what causes they're really blessings in disguise because they show you and they teach you and they're actually building and giving you the ability to have that joy and because when you've come through them you learn so much and it changes you so you know how they say that builds character like even children they say you know having children and and keeping them from bad things or like you know, you don't do them a favor. They need to know about that because that just teaches them character. And if you're, you know, financial stuff and parents going through, you know, it's almost part of their learning experience. Because mm-hmm. that teaches them to appreciate and value. If you make it always easy on them and don't ever, you know what I mean? Then they're not learning that. Yeah. <clears throat> Like life's hard and and that's the hardest thing to me with like watching families going through such an awful experience that made changed my whole outlook on what it is life is supposed to be or that God if God's in your life that everything's you know he's teaching it's going to be easy or he's going to get you through or like kind of what you learn in some of that where some of the greatest people that you talk with and they're going through this loved ones dying or suffering or you you just hear their story you see them you watch them you witness it you're you're part of it you just listen and it's 
you know, some of this young person, just everything that they've gone through and and they're like some of the like the best people and like and then they're telling you these other stories of other things that they've gone through and it's almost like too much. Like how can they go through all of that? Yeah. So then it would make you, you know, think you know, it makes you a little fear fearful thinking what you're gonna have to go through. But yet you hear people talk about this little thing they went through and that, and it's just like, that ain't, like, that ain't nothing. Like, you know, because people think, oh, how could that happen? And, you know, you'd lose your, you know, you know, this your whole family. You know, they all were killed, like all of them. And you're looking at this person that's going through something awful telling you that. On top of that, you just think, oh, see how life is? How fragile. And It makes you wonder, isn't there like a happy medium where it's like, you can still be able to love your present moment and seek joy and understand that and identify the beauty like, and see things because you have had that spectrum, but at the same time, not that bad. <laughs> like, can it just be a happy medium? And then you look at people that live their life and they seem to never really have problems. I don't know. It's, it would be odd to me that some of these situations that you just think but then are they able to look at life Mm -hmm. you know just so well or they possess something but I think too it's you know some to people that had faith you would see where I think faith carries them or but then it would be almost too much to take yourself like their heart you could just feel that like they sitting there going through that and then they've also gone through this loss and this loss and then it's just like like wow that is like so much that this woman has you know like there was a woman that was just she was like grace gracious there was something about her she just had this beauty about her and her husband was dying and and she would just sit there you know you see him for days and days and days and they don't leave they just you know, and you offer them, you know, little bits of this and that, and you listen, and they talk, or, you know, just because you're concerned for them, and they're just, you know, and as you're sitting there and watching him, you know, fading and fading, and she's telling you about him, and when they met and everything, and then we had one son, and my son died at 40, you know, he had cancer, their only child, Her son, he died at 40. And she's telling you, and she just has, she was just this, there's something full of grace. She was just this beauty, strength. And then she's telling that. And then on top of that, then she says her granddaughter came from Columbus and, and her husband. Well, then she, here's this granddaughter, this beautiful young girl, you know, there's 20s and she was just so, and they were so kind and just nice. And they were cooking something out in the family kitchen for her. And she was just thanking me, like, for, you know, taking care of my grandpa. And, you know, and, um, well, here, then, then she proceeds to tell me that she had another granddaughter. And she, she got, she got married. And on her honeymoon, she started having some bleeding and some different discomfort, like pain. Found out she had advanced ovarian cancer. 
what? At like 24 or something, 25. And um, her husband had walked her down the aisle, both of his granddaughters, because their dad died at 40. Oh, my goodness. Okay, now here's yeah. this woman, mm-hmm. a tower of what? Strength. Yeah. And her husband's dying. She's lost her only son at 40 of cancer. Her granddaughter dies of ovarian cancer. And she's got this one other grand, and this granddaughter was just beautiful. And they were like, you could feel what the two of them. And then her husband was there, was such a nice young guy. And like, and you would see the three of them see and feel that, like, sometimes not know what to make of that. Yeah. But it changes, like, how you look, like, everything of work, life, look different through all of that. You know, mm-hmm. and then you don't know what to do with some of it because it starts getting, you know, I don't know. But like, I'll never for you know that just those. And it gives you your your this gratitude, but then people don't always share that gratitude or or like saying that even about my kids. It's like you feel that tense, that intense sense to want to, you know, because you seem like. You know, this, these things happen. Mm-hmm. They've happened to all these people. We don't hold each other close enough. Mm-hmm. Look, when Jeremy was sick and he buys me that willow tree yeah. and that mama holding that baby, mm-hmm. it's all wrapped around her. Now, why would he, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. Because I was holding him close and he knew that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but you want to keep doing that. But why does, why can't you, you know? No, you're right. I mean, oh, we were, we were talking hard. about that. Everybody's spread out. People are apart. And, and people don't always... And you've witnessed so much. ...see <laughs> that they want to do that. Like, you don't... Because you don't realize. Like... So it's this beauty that blows your mind in a way because it's this awful, awful stuff that you have this privilege to witness Mm -hmm. through others and share all the stories I listened to in all eight and a half years of the stories that I would sit and some of the ones on night shift were all you know in the middle of the night there's something about the middle of the night and you could sit and, and listen you know and like you share that in the middle of the night. I don't know, just something. Or, you know, when people having fears and they're scared and they're crying and they're all real dark things even. Like being in a pit of snakes. This lady told me. Like she would see that? Yes. <clears throat> in the night? or Yes. Like dreams and she wouldn't want to go to sleep and she'd, you know... And she want me to leave. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. And I said, do you know Jesus? I would say that to everybody that would do that. Like, mm-hmm. And she would say, no, I don't. I don't know Jesus. But you can know Jesus. And, and like we, um, just to calm her, like I ask her about like uh, a hymn or do you ever have a favorite hymn? Or, and she said, how great thou art. So I went and got my iPad and I brought it in and played that and left it by her bed. And we listened. She listened to it a couple times, and made her feel better. And then you'd say, you know, can pray. You know, would you please? Would you please? And I'd pray with people. Like, and I didn't even, 
didn't always know how, you know, like yeah. the time. But then I got kind of it just because when they're in that, you know, you're you're like time is, mm-hmm. you know, peace and. <clears throat> but there's so many things like oh, there's so many. Like sad, too much sad. But then you got the happy things too. You got the families that you know. I remember a woman who was she was only in maybe in her fifties and she had had um, cancer, and um, colon cancer. And when they opened her up, she had multiple surgeries. She had had so many surgeries that what it got to be was that they couldn't even close her abdomen up. So. And she had gone, had had some, had been septic, and was was still on IV antibiotics that we were giving her. And she just had the most beautiful family, like daughter, son, husband, and uh, she was just always smiling. And like you'd walk in, you know, and she'd say, "How are you today?" Like they they're acknowledging you. Or on midnight shift, they'd say, "Have you gotten any sleep?" Like <laughs> we don't go to sleep. But her belly was like. It, they couldn't close it, so they had to leave it open. So she had like an abdominal open, and then all they did was what we did. We just had it. It was kind of gaping open, about that wide. And they just, they didn't expect her to live very long. They thought she'd come there and die in a few days. And then we just would put like a sealant around that with a drainage thing that drained into a Foley bag that would drain. Like anything she would put in would come out that. Because she really couldn't process anything with her bowel or anything. But she just lived and lived and lived. It was was amazing. They were real, like their faith. And Mm -hmm. and, um, her husband just was the kindest, gentlest. Like, I'd go in and you'd have to push different meds. She was on different pain meds. And, you know, it was kind of a regimen. So you'd be in there for a while sitting because you were given several different antibiotics and this and that. And as you, it's a slow push. So you'd sit and you'd talk to him, you know, as you were like doing stuff. And then a son came from Kansas and a daughter, and they were just, you get to know them all. Like that family was so. And then they would go out. I remember she'd get, we'd get her up in that one chair. It's like a leans back, a chair, the Jerry chair they call. And then they would take her out. And I can remember her being out a couple times in the, the family room. And uh, her husband would play the piano, and she'd be sitting in that chair. And I can always remember her feet, like she'd see her feet, you know, and she'd be in that chair, and they'd be playing. It was Christian music and stuff, and she would just be singing, and her feet would be going like this underneath. She could sit, <laughs> like, in that chair. And she just was like, you know, in the midst of all of that, like, I don't know, just and their family and then other people and people would come around that would do that would happen a lot and you would see one time I remember having a man that he hardly talked and I truly did not know where he was in stuff and I one time trying to like talk with him communicate with him and I and something golf or something and I you know whatever his name was like did you were you a golfer you know, and he kind of shook his head no. And I was just like, I never really knew how much he understood. And I got the cards that the ther- therapy uses sometimes. And I was like, kind of curious of like, and he could like, and he was he could name a lot of them. Well, then he told me, he went like this, that he played the piano. So I said to Patty, was one of the aides, and I was just like, you know what? He says he plays the piano. Mm-hmm. 
we should take him out later. Let's take him out to the piano. And we like wheeled him out in that in a big chair and put him by the piano and waited for a little bit. And next thing you know, you should have heard him play that piano. Oh, really? And we didn't even know he was, because he didn't seem, played that piano beautifully. And then next thing you know, you see people coming out of the offices or like different people. People and people were like, it would bring tears because you're just like. A man you know? who couldn't and speak. And it made him like open up more too. Like it was just, mm-hmm. you know, just so many things. Just life, you know, like yeah. the details of someone's life. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. The details of their lives, their relationships family, you know, just and then that connection well, I think one of my best connections too, I mean there's so many but I, I remember a young guy like with he had ALS I only had three patients ever in all their years with ALS because that's a, that awful like Lou Gehrig's where mm-hmm. they lose that gradually on the muscle control and then eventually <clears throat> what happens is they really can't move and then it starts going up towards the lungs and they they don't even have enough to take a breath to expand their lungs and then that's the final so then that's what's so awful because then they can't breathe Mm. and they get panicky he was like 40 some years old and he had a second wife with him and I remember, I always love people have pictures, and that's always awesome. But, yeah, it's also so awful because you see the re- reality of, like, looking at that. But that big, burly guy, and now looking, you know, mm-hmm. he was only in his 40s. And he got really, like, he was at that point. And then they use, like, a CPAP to breathe all the time. And, and then they don't want that on because that makes it even worse because they feel like they're, it's, it's an awful place to be in. Is there, yeah, I mean, can you, like, numb them up or do anything, or what do you do? Well, um... It's horrible. Just med- you gotta medicate, but we had to, like... His gut, it got really bad to where... Like, I had to talk to, I had to talk to him about, like, talking to Dr. Murray, and then we talked to him about, like, what we <coughs> really need to do is that we have to sedate you. It's kind of a terminal sedation, and that you're... What you're doing is you're going to give them higher doses of, um, we used IV Ativan, and so that he is sedate. And then you also give morphine mm-hmm. IV, because that eases respiratory um, workload. So in other words, like you're telling him that we're going to sedate you and give you this. But then you got to think when you're telling him that, here he is, he's awake. He's alert. Mm-hmm. You know, his wife's here. You're actually telling him that... This is it. Yeah, we're going to... We're going to... You're going to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then die. And, like, those kind of conversations. And then he can't... I couldn't speak. But he could hear me telling... You know, and then I mm-hmm. had to put, like, an IV line, two IV lines in. And, you know, what I would do, I would just give him, you know, a dose of Ativan, which would just help him to relax. Mm-hmm. We would give him just a small amount at first to see what would give him the best relief. And and I can remember him, this man, like, oh, I'll never forget, like, I was talking to him, and I was, like, at his bed, and my, my hands were there somehow, and I was talking to him. 
and he would use, he had one finger, because he would do it with his wife, his right finger, he could go like this, and he would, he would spell things out to her. That's all he could move on his body, and he would, would like spell. And he starts, he starts doing that, and she says, um, he says, thank you. And I thought, he's spelling, thank you. And the look in his eyes, and like, you know, and then we just give him, and he, he you know, decided, like he wrote on her that he wanted that, and because he was just struggling to, and, mm. you know, we just sedated him with the Ativan, and next thing you know, he was just kind of drifting, and it was like a day or so, and he died, but. But the strength of that and courage of that, you know. But ALS, that was a, I remember three, I had a nurse. She was a nurse with ALS and she was only in her 50s. There always seemed to be like 50s as an age and then an older man, 60s I think. Oh. But then, you know, there's beauty in that. For some reason, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, because we're all going to face that. We're all going to be at the end of our life. And that being, having that book, that you could watch people go through that is like a blessing. There's, there's a gift. That's a gift. Like, I look at it as... It's, I read that they used to, like in hot, like you learn about, there's like, it's called a sacred space and how important it is to create sacred space. Because really, because it's on sacred, you're in sacred ground when that's going on. Yeah. And teaching people in that atmosphere to always, like I would teach that when I'm not training newer people was always that you took, because some people don't. You're in an atmosphere that that you've got to, you know, you don't want to all be sad, but you've got to honor and what they are all experiencing Mm -hmm. in each room and that's sacred. And it's all different and it's all different types of people and all different diseases and all. And it's like serious, you know, it's like a, but then it's a joy and, you know, and you find that you laugh a lot more there. You'd think, you know. People keep their humor, and but not always, but but just all them lives that you got to be a part of, and then it teaches you something. But yet again, it's it's hard to use that in. I don't know. It's it's just like there's it's too sad. There's too much sad, but. Have you ever experienced like that, an, a true feeling of someone passing on to another place? Like, do you believe it happens and it's real and have you felt it, seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I do, yep. Or people who have faith, they don't have their, you don't see so much of like fear. People that have fear. I had a young girl that was only 36 years old with colon cancer and she was dying had three kids mm. and she would never talk about it she would never take any pain medicine 
Really? And um, sometimes they can't, like, the def- that acceptance. You know, there'd be people that would come in and, like, they were actually in acceptance of their terminal illness, the disease. They had maybe fought the fight. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm done. And that was kind of a different scenario than you get people that come in and they're at the end and they still have not accepted and like she was one that did, would she'd go I don't, I don't want to talk I don't want to talk about that don't talk about that and I'd say okay we won't talk about that but you know you know you could have something for pain mm-hmm. and she would she would not because they they're afraid they're gonna they're just they're just they're just in that last things about fear of dying and she died that way one time she asked me if I could um, sit sit back there with her, but she didn't want to talk about anything. And it really, it's like you're busy. and you. But it actually was a decent kind of t- night that I was like, I could for a while. Mm-hmm. And I told my aide, like, I'm going to be back there a little bit. She went, And then it was like when I went back, she turned, Friends was on TV, like in the middle of the night. And I sat beside her bed. And sometimes they will maybe want to talk. And just I just met her where she was and was like she didn't want to talk about it. I didn't talk about it. We and we sat there and she laughed and commented on friends and we talked about friends and that's you know? Mm-hmm. Like she couldn't bring herself to talk about her death. But yet she was so getting so close. Never took pain medicine. Was she miserably uncomfortable or no? I don't think too bad. But then she was sore. I mean, she'd... Um, like, if she'd move, so she would just stay real still. And mm-hmm. But I think that denial was so strong, though, that it kind of... They can put up with it. Or, like, mm-hmm. she was just so afraid of taking pain medicine because I think they think that that's going to... And you try to assure them that it will not. And you give them the least amount, small. Mm-hmm. Just don't want you to be uncomfortable. And, no, but I just thought it was odd though that they don't want to talk about their death, and they're right there in the midst of it, mm-hmm. but they don't can't bring themselves to talk about it, you know. And then ones that do, they want to talk about it. They want to tell you the whole course of their illness, and it's like they have. There's something about that that they have to do that. Like they have to go through that. And they're going through when they first got diagnosed. And then you, you just listen. They just need you to, you know, listen. And, and you get them comfortable. And, you know, and then they. Or and they have chaplains and priests. And people want you to call priests. So you'd be calling people in sometimes. Or, oh, I don't know. It's just so much. how our bodies fail you know mm-hmm. or like the woman who I remember she'd had three she'd had cancer three times and she was only in her 50s and she the last time she had her arm cut off she had had a sarcoma so she had, they had to cut her arm off but before that she'd had breast cancer so she lost breast and then she had um, I think it was either throat cancer or she was throwing up everything she couldn't hardly eat anything. She'd throw up. It was awful. And I remember just, how does one go through that many times and that, you know? 
and she was saying how my daughters are so they get upset just, with me because I can't I tell them I want to die and they don't want they don't want, they say I'm giving up I'm not giving up I'm done and I can remember her saying like you don't know I cannot wait to be out of this body and I thought how it's racked wow. just in pain and vomiting yeah. and you're sick and you can't how long you know mm-hmm. she's like I can't do it anymore and she just wanted to just be comfortable and be at peace and go and and then her daughters you know having trouble with that but yet it's like oh I see I don't that fight has gotta you know you did it all you gotta just makes me sick go. There's just so much cancer. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. It's and cheating you so many people out of so much things. Ugh. And how it's so vague. That's yeah. why it's kind of fearful, like frightening. Or I was always interested in different types of patients or different types of cancers. I would think like, you know, so how did your you know, what were your symptoms? How did your cancer start? Or like when you first got diagnosed? And some of the things that people could tell you were like really vague or like just, oh, I just was having this little bit of, you know, this pain here or back here or, you know, and I just, and it just little by little would get better and then it'd be worse. You just think it's the next thing you know, someone tells you, you got fourth stage, you know, metastatic and it's in your bones and you're, yeah. And you're 40 some years old, and you're like, what? I mean, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, what? Yes. Or a man that said, you know, when he came in, and he said, this all started, you know, and he had this, this whole leg all the way down to here. He had like, they call him like, cancer is on, when the cancer's on the inside of you, how awful. And then you see these fung they called fungating tumors, and that's what, like what starts happening is the cancer starts coming outside, and you can see it. And that to me was just mm. to think that what look at a loved one that that's happening to them. Yeah. And I seen that in several things that were one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. All my years of twenty years in the hospital, I didn't see some of the things that I seen there like that, like. It was just coming out, and he was just a young guy sitting up in a chair talking to me and Dr. Murray, like, you know, with this leg up, and it was swollen, and it had all the way down to here that just looks like nodules of cauliflower, kind of like, just, they had holes where it was tunneling, like all this, this just tunneling in there, and that's all the cancer, and it was all up, like, in his groin and up in here in the top part of his belly and this whole leg. And he told us how they said, well, we could, we could amputate your leg. But he said, this all started from a little tiny, they told, you know, hemorrhoid. And they told me that, you know, it wasn't cancer. And it was just a hemorrhoid. And here it was rectal cancer. Although I, I, he was in Wheeling, Dr. Wiley. I would never stay there with. You think certain cases, sometimes you would see, you'd wonder if, like, they could have had a better outcome. Yeah. They just didn't go, you know, mm-hmm. got to go to the right place. You know, cancer is, like, the right treatment, the right time. 
the right cause. I remember doctor, yeah, Jeremy's doctor telling me that, Dr. Klein saying, with cancer, you got to do the right thing at the right time and, you know, the right way. And it's like, it's, it takes a lot. You get, they were preparing to, for that big surgery he had to have, you know, mm-hmm. and getting everything gathered in and touching every base. And, you know, when you want a vascular surgeon because it's around the aorta and his kidney and this. And mm-hmm. you get, next thing you, know, you see, it's how. But that man, you know, just all of that. And then I had to do, like, the dressing. And you have to, like, pack it in those holes. And it was like, and it's, oh. And I remember him saying, like, honey, I'm so sorry. You have to look at this grotesque. And I felt bad. He was just a nice guy. And he talked to me about heaven. Do I think there's heaven? And, him and his wife had gotten married later in life because he was 53, and he said, you know, he had these young boys. He bought them a lifetime Disney pass because they, <laughs> loved, they loved going to Disney, and before he died, he wanted them to have that. And he'd always say, I just want to go to Disney with my boys one more time. Do you Aww. think that could happen? And I didn't. And his wife in the garden just bawling and everything. Just sat, you know, and all that, and that grip. And it's, it was a hemorrhoid. Yeah. Hmm. You, you made me cry like three times. Pain, <laughs> you know, and you just sit and you listen. And I'll think about them people. Sometimes I wonder about seeing them someday. Yeah. You know, different people that you... You mean like the families, or you mean like when you go, when you see them again someday? The people who died. Like, like the Titanic? Like when they all come out at the end and they're on the, the boat? People. Yeah, and there they are. should just be loving to everybody and kind and live and because look at look how yeah and people are wasting time on all these offenses and what everybody thinks it should be or like look look at what you're you know it's madness it really is there's so many more important things like not valuing time that's what it is time like I used to think that too think we all you know you want to make money you want to like obtain things and but look what look what we do with time time is so precious Mm -hmm. you can't get it back and that's all they want is time they don't money ain't gonna help them nothing's gonna help you know Or how you would look at like a bad day, or like I can remember feeling like they taught it all taught you too about like complaining, or like I would feel like your hair, you know, stupid things we all, or it's a bad, it's cold, you know, the rain, or people would complain about weather, and I'd always feel like I'm not gonna do that. Like this person just wants to live. Mm-hmm. They don't care what the weather, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
but look what we do. Because yeah. we haven't learned that, you know, or seen that, witnessed that, I don't know. I think all they just want to see tomorrow. And I'm complaining because it's too cold out. <laughs> Or the people that you comfort and really you think, you know, it's kind of a two-way thing because they're actually, you know, it's comforting too. But, you, you know, you think, like, I remember like that was being in the back room one time with this black guy. He's a really big guy. I mean, he's a big black guy, big guy. And his, um, he'd been estranged from his daughter and she's dying and, you know, and he, he, He's just like, nurse, like, I just, can I talk with you and ask you some questions? And, you know, this big old body, huge, and just these tears, and him, like, on, like, hugging Aww. me. Yeah. And crying, and, like, he just wanted to ask me questions, and I just talked with him, and, like, we, and he just, and I'd think, like, <laughs> you know, like, you're, that's all you could give him sometimes, you know? They just want you to listen to them and acknowledge and and love on them. You know, you hug. I hugged everybody. I was, you know, you hugged families. You didn't say anything. Sometimes you didn't say nothing, but sometimes a hug or a just touch, you know. Mm -hmm. And then how they're watching how you are caring for their loved one and how precious that is and how... You know, they're all just sitting, waiting, and then you go in and they see that you are, mm -hmm. you know, comfort and that they're comfortable or... And then some people are mean, some people can get angry and they're, they're mad and they can not be so nice to you sometimes because... They say they're just mad at the death, you know, so they got to take it out on somebody. So a lot of times it's the nurse. But those kind of people, though, I've seen where, like, sometimes it can be that way initially. And they have an edge about them, and you can meet them where they are, and then you realize. And then it's not, like, maybe a few more days or sometime you're back, and you're, and then it's, like, how that changes, too. Because they're coming to acceptance or they're, they're um, working it out. It's kind mm -hmm. of neat to see, or they they talk about it and have more understanding, and that anger is a part of it because it, it, you know it's you don't want to tell them goodbye, you don't want them to leave, and mm -hmm. I feel bad for you, Heather. You gotta go to work. I think you should not go to work. <laughs> I wish. You want to sleep on my mattress? I would love to come. You know I want to spend the night. I love camping out with you, but... I know, and I love that. I'm like... I'm but like, I don't mind to be I, in the late night because you know I wanted I to talk. I'm like needy. <laughs> I'm like needy. One time Adrian told me that. I... Not that. She, that's when I was still with Pootie and I was at the house and I remember they had gone away. Okay, this is still like they had gone away and I had Roxy. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember where they went or what it was, but anyway, I was always, I always had Roxy. Well, they come to pick Roxy up. And do you really think you're going to pick Roxy up and walk out this door and you're not going to spend any time with me? <laughs> I was like joking you. Yeah. 
Because I was like, hey, you want to go out to, to lunch? I'll take you to lunch over to Ogilvy. Let's go mm-hmm. over to Ogilvy and eat lunch, you know. And Adrian just she just she started going like this today. She goes, "You're like rocks." And he's like, "Come on, come on!" And I was like, "Is that so bad?" And they did go to lunch with me. But see, see should I have the dog the whole week? And you guys are all going. And you know what I mean? They finally they're coming and they just want to leave me. I don't no. freaking think so. No. You owe me lunch. <laughs> Give me a break. <clears throat> funny. I love you so much. You mm-hmm. just want your presence. <laughs> I'm a pain in the ass. <laughs> no. I'm just glad we talk. I want to do more of these because I know you have so many more stories. And then I want to. Yeah, but they've got to be put... stories that you could come to a. They, you have to naturally fall upon them. I don't want you to say, "Hey, tell me about this one." Mm-hmm. No, you got to just walk, no, work your way into remember stories. All of there's so many. So I wish so That's much. Why we I just talk. I should have kept a journal. You're gonna. I That's really... what these are. These are like living journals for now, and then we can help you no, start writing or getting I you your have, stuff. Though, about different patients and different, because there's too many for me to like. Because there are so many moments. Yeah. You know, I can remember a guy that. Oh, I just felt bad for him, and he was so sick, and he. And you know what he would do with me? I would dance with him. Oh yeah. He would he would stand up and he was a little unsteady and he'd hold on to me like and I'd go, "Are we going to dance again?" Like and, and he, you know, and we just kind of rock a little bit cuz I was really trying to hold him that he's going to fall and he kept wanting to get up and I'd say, "You got to you know, you you know, I don't want you to fall. We're going to have to sit back down. I just need to stand up for a minute, you know. <laughs> oh, there would be like things like those type of things. It was just so much that you would like and looking him in the eyes and that little bit of dancing. And then they, they start talking about like their family member or something and they cry. Aww. And you're like, right. Were they alone or did they have a lot family? Of times, there was a lot of people that nobody would be with when they died. Wow. Sometimes people would die and nobody was in the room with them. Because it's hard. You can't. Yeah. There's enough people to just. We would try if there were people that were like getting close or you'd, thought, you'd think we'd like really check. But there'd be a lot of times you'd. And then you'd get kind of. You know, death is so. <laughs> Patty'd come out and go, hey, seven is. She's gone. <laughs> we're like. It gets to be. Especially if they're old. And that's sad to say, but it is a little bit different when they're. Mm, you gotta call family and tell them that they died. Mm. But a lot of people are expecting it too. In fact, some people would just, they didn't even want to stay. You'd say, that's okay. That's, you know, everybody deals with it differently. And it's just like, I can't just sit there and watch. Um, but I would call you. Or people want to leave and they want to say, should I leave? Do you think I could leave? Or should I not leave? Because could, you know, and it's just like, you know, yeah. I really yeah, like, can I you cannot, give me a window? I cannot really. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you could, and you'd say, you know, if you, I'd say, if you know, if you want to be here, if you want to be present when they pass, I would tell you not to leave tonight. But that doesn't mean because I, you know, mm-hmm. that can change. But what I see now, you know, yeah. No. 
and go on and on and on. And you'd think, like, I can't believe they're still here. Like, weeks sometimes, two weeks. I remember people where we'd be like, or even you know, in the docks, they'd be like, like, what are they holding? Like, but they look like they, you couldn't even, like, I mean, they were just sometimes flesh on bone. I'd see some people sometimes that when I'd work midnight shift, it'd be scary. Like when you'd walk in the room and like if it wasn't, it was lit real dim. Like people look, you know, they got that. Dr. Murray used to call it, call it the positive O. Whoa. That's, that's humor. Yeah. Hospice humor. Because you have to. Because you didn't. Oh, you, you would jo- go and, you'd you, go, yeah. yeah. It was like that at the you'd juvenile home. You'd have to make jokes about the kid that yeah. was smearing their feces all over their face again because if you didn't you'd go insane because you'd know that's what I mean yeah. death and dying and all that you know you just oh you go in rooms and they smell so bad because they got this big open wound I'd see these wounds like on and you'd have to pack it and it'd be this I could probably fit my fist oh just <sighs> I can't imagine what that was like Like the lady, the young girl with the kids. Those are the, those are the worst little kids. Because you'd get your report, like they'd call you, and then you take the report. They're either coming from the hospital. Usually, they were coming from the hospital. Sometimes though, they'd come in from home. Like the home nurse would make a visit to home and say, you know, this is they had to have a symptom that we needed to manage to be admitted and. They would give you the rundown so you kind of and then there were times you'd get really bad ones where the hospital would call you and like I can remember nurses crying giving me a report telling Aww. me about this one woman she had I don't know how many children had pancreatic and we brought her in and it was just sad and like and then you then you talk with the children or they want you to talk could you talk to the children although we used to have like we'd get social workers to do some of that mm-hmm. but I remember talking a few times to some like teenagers or oh it's just awful but it's hard too people think like I remember one time who somebody saying to me something about hospice and she was like Oh, it's probably the fun part. You can paint their nails and you can do this. What? Like, and it was like, what? what? You don't like we. You don't have any time for. Oh, I I would be in a. You're you're like in a lot of bad stuff. Like there were times they should have went to the hospital. That would piss me off. I'd get irritated. I got to where I would. I was a good one on. Like I would say to the home nurses and be like, you just make sure like this is the best place for them. You know, intractable vomiting and nausea. You know, there are times, and they're young and cancer. They need to go to the hospital because they need a little more than what, you know. You know, I want to make sure that that was always one of my big things at meetings would be. We want to make sure this is the best place for them because I've seen a couple times where they should have went to the hospital. Or you just gotta, you know, because it was like they were sick, sick people. People think because people were dying, they're not like, well, they're dying. But that don't, you still, you know, they're in awful pain. And I said they need quality of life. Vomiting mm-hmm. so bad. And oh, I remember that man was 
rectal cancer. Like, oh, that poor man. This day I feel bad. And, uh, and he would have this, um, like, pressure in his rectum so bad. And we had him on, like, he, he was on a fentanyl drip. Highest rate of fentanyl drip I had ever administered. And then, but he would say, that doesn't really work for me. Oxycodone's better for me. And then they were like, well, we can't give him oxycodone. He was, he was taking more than he was supposed to when he was at home. And then that would piss me off. And I'd be like, well, of this course. poor he's man amazing. is yeah, yes. miserable. Well, I got one of the other doctors to give him oxycodone on the weekend. And Dr. Carroll was pissed on the week. But it's like, that man was dead a week later. Yeah. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Give him I what he wants. I that at the, well, I mean, I, because you're, see, but he was, he'd be up in the night and he would like go in the bathroom naked. He wasn't that old, like 40 something. He was real dark. Like I remember dark hair and dark like hair and he, but he'd be naked and he would go into the bathroom and I went in and found him like he was on the bathroom floor with like one of those chucks, blue chucks things. And he'd go like, he was, he was sitting on, he'd go like this. I, I find him in there and he's going like this. And he'd say, and he's looking up at me and I'm like, you know, and then you feel like if he's naked, you feel embarrassed for him. And I, you know, and I just was like, his pain wasn't right. And he'd go like, he'd, he'd say, if I go like, if I push on it, you know, he would go, he just had this routine thing. And then what it would do, it would expel like fluid and stuff to relieve a little bit of that pressure oh. in his rectum. Oh. That's when I got kind of mad and called the one doctor. He told me to give him oxycodone. Because Dr. Carroll said, for no reason, this no oxycodone. And I said to Dr. Presbys, I, I can't, you know, this poor man needs relief. Mm-hmm. You know, he mm-hmm. needs relief. So he said, well, let's just go ahead, just write for one dose. And then he said, why don't we get, well, let's give him a dose at bedtime every night. Well, we got to be doing something because if we're doing this and it ain't working. Yeah. You know what I mean? For I'm sure. taking care of him. I'm the one that's in there all night long. You're not. Oh, yep. Sometimes, yeah, they would like, yeah, and I can remember going through all that and everything. And then like, he went home and came back or something. Somebody said he drank his fentanyl. I don't know. I don't know. They would, like, you know, abuse on meds. Because they would get that, though. They'd have people at home on meds, and then um, they would have to lock them up. They would do counts. But a lot of times it was diversion, and it would be family members were taking their meds, too. See, this is where it's all So things up. had to be locked up, counted, and if there was discrepancy... I mean, it's, it's a lot of it is, you know, and there were different ones with West Virginia, Ohio. Um, I mean, it didn't make any sense to me that you're worried about diversion or like, okay, it, say a patient brings their meds in and it's whatever narcotic and they die. The state of West Virginia says that you offer, you can give those back to the family. Because they want them all drug addicts anyway. Yeah. That's <laughs> so dumb. Sense. Ohio, you couldn't. They had to be sent to the pharmacy. You had to, like, rate it all. It was just, you know, you deal with a lot of that kind of stuff, too. With dry, I mean, there was just so much. And, um, oh. All I know is if I'm uncomfortable and I ain't 
and I'm dying and I only got a week to live, I think it's game on. Well, that's mostly how we would do. Yeah. And most doctors, yeah, that's the thing you're going to you're going to call. I don't know why certain there were certain ones that once in a while would be like that. Like most of the time, Dr. Presbus was always good. You could call him, you know, if they're not getting relief and he mm-hmm. you can heat up it, give him 10 milligrams every 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Usually every hour you could give morphine. But then he'd even do it every 30 if you needed. But it depended on the case though too. You had sure. people that were still high functioning that what they were no you know, they weren't gonna die, you yeah. know, in the next month, couple months or something maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just there to get managed and you wanna manage them to go home and live, not just drug them up. Yep. So but the ones that, you know, weren't gonna do that, that's give them what they need. That's when I had Doctor Murray all them years. I just love Doctor Murray. To this day, I love Dr. Murray. I wish Dr. Murray would have been 10 years younger and he wasn't <laughs> married. Because him and I had, like, I did. I just, uh-huh. but I think it was a lot of just, we could talk about anything and we'd all go out to the Alpha and have drinks. And he was, he's from South Africa. He was just, uh, I loved his accent. Mm-hmm. And he was just so smart. So smart. And he would like work so good with me. Like I felt like, oh, all them years I had him, he would, you know, he'd just be like, you're just, you're just the best. <laughs> you're just the best. And I could call him anytime and we'd get like good management, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what you need. And he had an office there. And then when they got rid of him, and kind of caught, they changed it all, and it wasn't as thorough, and it wasn't as, he'd go to people's homes and visit, mm-hmm. and they quit doing that, and like, there was just so much, the personal touch of medicine is gone. It is gone. Yeah. And now you're scared, because if you don't get the right doctor, or the right nurse, or the person on the right day, it could cost you your life. Yep. And you better be your advocate. Yes. Because that's power. You need to read about it. You need to learn about it. You need, mm-hmm. and you need to know the questions to ask. And the, and I see, used to see a lot of that where I would question, like I would think, I don't think those people got the right care, or or like the night one night when I got that patient in, that he was only a young boy, twenty three, testicular cancer. Same thing with as Jeremy's. He had like masses retro mm-hmm. and um. He'd been a football player at Park and real handsome, biracial boy. And um, I remember when they, I got the call that they was, he was coming. It was almost like I couldn't hardly, you know. And um, I remember that Dr. Murray was like, he calls in, Sherry, are you okay? You, you know, what you didn't, you know, this was, this, this boy did not have the right treatment. You know, mm-hmm. they, there was, I don't know. But anyway, it was still, it made you like, when he pulled it and he was all puffy, you know, and he'd have it in his lungs too. And and then I felt bad for him thinking, why didn't he get the right care? He was coming to Columbus, but they were saying he wasn't um, keeping appointments and, you know, just, and... Because he had a, his mom came in, but not until later. And I don't know what all that dynamics was. But then I felt bad for her. But then 
Oh, and when he died, he died that night. Mm. I felt like, oh, like I remember, oh, I just like went out into the garden there, that pretty garden area, because that place is beautiful. But oh, I'm just crying, crying, crying. But all I could think of was like, thank you, Jesus, for my Jeremy. Like, thanks, you know, because it's just such a, mm-hmm. and poor guy, you know, like 23. But Dr. Murray was the one, you know, he was the one thinking of me, or like he mm-hmm. would, you know, remember that. And we can call someone else in, you know. And I just said, no, I, I'm okay. I got this. I'm okay. I know. And But, you know. Or if you had a problem or a patient that was a little bit like, I remember him coming and sitting right beside me one time with this one bad pancreatic person that could just to get him comfortable was just oh it was really like not working and I it was just so hard like oh it was just so much pain and it was like and he'd be like go ahead and you know 10 more milligrams you know and you'd go get that and you know and then he he waited it out with me the whole time mm-hmm. see doctors don't always do that but mm-hmm. he was such a he was the medical director but he was so good and mm-hmm. And you weren't in it, you know, alone. He would be. Why'd they get rid and of him? And then there were meds that oh, we didn't have at that time, too. See, I like that's where I did a lot there with. I worked with the pharmacists really well there. Mm-hmm. They used to call me in the meetings and have me talk to them about our farm. Because what it was was they weren't. The nurses didn't like the system. But the reason they didn't like it, I would try to say, is it's not working for us. This system could work for us, but you need to change it to make it work for this facility. And then it's frustrating them because when you need it, you need, you know. There were things we didn't even have. Like that one woman, what was she getting at the hospital? IV Dilaudid. Why do we not have IV Dilaudid? We didn't have IV Dilaudid. See, when you when you're working in a medical facility outside of a pharmacy, we don't have you don't have a in you know hospitals. Mm-hmm. You got a pharmacy. They're managing all your meds. Well, if you're that's the challenge though. If you're working like a freestanding unit, you've got to have a farm a good pharmacy set up. And it took them years to really get. We went through several different pharmacists before we got Moundsville Pharmacy, and then I worked real good like with Jason, and we got, but like, you know. I remember that day with her, like, you know, like, like Dr. Murray, why? We don't have IV Dilaudid. You send me a patient from, and and then that taught a lot of ways of like, you got, you know, and I'd bring up a lot of things. A lot of things got changed by like, I'd say, and telling people that you get a report, you want to know what are, what are they getting for pain? Mm-hmm. And dosages and meds and is it working for them and da 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 and you better make sure that if it's working for them and they're coming here we better have it, mm-hmm. you know. And there was it was a thing you cannot accept a patient that's on an IV drip until Coram brings us that IV meds and they'd want to like linger. Oh, there was a lot of stress because you're you know, timing and all the information because there would be times it wouldn't be clear and the home team wouldn't be telling you everything and then you get some, and it was like you know, how much oxygen? Like, we really need another concentrator for that degree of level of percentage. Things that you'd run into that just, like, 
oh, I've got to be like frustrating, you know, like I'm the one dealing with it and gotta be, you know. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of purpose. Hmm? It's a lot of purpose. I don't know. <laughs> lots of good things though mm -hmm. but now it's all over and I'm all done and I ain't good for nothing oh <laughs> I wouldn't I don't think I'd want to do that again in all honesty well look how well you I mean you did so much and now you've hanging out with me and you're doing podcasts I did find out about someone told me that um oh it was actually at the golf tournament I was talking with these ladies um and she was a respiratory therapist and she was telling me that um, in their building in St. Clairsville by Respects on National Road um, there's an old map and some stuff there there used to be a, a Novacare there like where Jeremy works it's not there anymore but they're building a um, like a lab um, ER kind of facility mm -hmm. and she said it I think they're going to do some procedures there so I don't know if it's going to be like a same day outpatient that's what I'd still oh. like to do yeah but I didn't ask her who was building it because the more I thought about it later I was wondering everything back home is WVU took over everything really took over, they took over Wheeling Hospital Wheeling Hospital was in trouble well, OV shut down. See, they're medical. That's the one thing I don't like about back there. I don't really care for WVU myself. Well, it's the 50th. The health care back there, I don't really like it. Well, I can't remember what West Virginia ranks, but it's in the worst of worst for health care. Probably. And that's where in there, well, they, like they have the Bob sickest people. To, me and Bob talked about that, about like living in Ohio. That'd mm -hmm. be another reason. I'd just keep my Dr. Kanapke and come up here. Or if you ever had to go to the hospital, you come up here. Mm -hmm. But see, if you're in West Virginia, I don't know. I don't know if insurance would. I yeah, don't but see, know. I know. I know someone that, I mean, like the, the top of the top here is like, like a Riverside. And I know someone whose father's dead because they gave him that stupid, whatever, remdesivir. For COVID, um, which turned out to be the thing that kills everybody, or not everybody, but 20% of patients, and they were giving that to everybody, mm -hmm. knowing. Or I don't know if, I don't know if they know, because they probably just read some stupid report and then just started giving it, but, so now I'm scared of wherever you go, like, they're going to follow the narrative. Ooh, that's scary. Well, like on that day it's like star. Kidney failure. See when you that they're they speak out about COVID. They had I learned good stuff. I don't know. They're great on there. Sometimes I wonder how they get away with like they speak really against a lot of things. And but they they have the the guests on there the the infectious docs and the mm -hmm. you know they're great to watch mm -hmm. and they'll tell you they told too about like if you would were to go in the hospital and you tell them I do not give me that you know like you see but isn't it sad that you have to you know you're sick and ill and you got to be real in tune to what or if you have a loved one mm -hmm. 
You better, like they say, don't ever leave someone you love in a hospital. Mm-mm. Isn't that sad? But I, I understood that. Yeah. Oh, grim. Yeah. I, it was but always then, scary. But then, too, I think, though, people tend to look at um, health care. You know, health care isn't all, you know, they're human beings. Mm-hmm. And they're and, overstaffed. Yeah, and, and there's or only, not over. I mean, understaffed, yes. overworked. And there's I'm sorry. only so much. You yes. know, there are some people that they have this. They yes. they believe that they can live any way they want all their life and not take care of themselves, and they can, you know, and they yep. think they can go to a hospital and you can fix them. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And we you, we thought there's know, a pill for that. There's always a pill you for can't. something. Yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, there's yeah. nothing that nobody can do, or people can be demanding, can be, you know, when really, I mean, you got, we we are all. And no one's perfect, but you do recognize exceptional care mm-hmm. versus mediocre care. Or yeah, like I remember when I was real sick with that ruptured appendix, and I was at um, East Ohio Regional Hospital in Martin's Ferry, and they had that appendectomy, like where they just, and then I had that awful infection. They said like it was a respiratory, like a respiratory bacteria. And how it would actually get into your system like that. They were like they were blown by that. So then they had to put me on all these antibiotics. And then it was like three different ones. And I was so sick. And like, mm. oh. And then I broke out in all that big rash. I was like all over my back. And like that recephin. And then they just, I, I just was not getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lap assisted, you know appendectomy and I'm still you know mm-hmm. up in the night and a girl the nurse was like you know take I still had a fever and I just said I just I, I just don't understand you know in a way like why I still have a fever like four days post-op mm-hmm. and then she was like you know I don't did your bowels move and I was like no I haven't eaten anything I'm not you know well let's let's get you up a little bit and they wanted me to walk down the hall, walk in the hall a little bit, and then she'd give me some laxative, a center or something. And I was just like, I mean, it's hard to when you're in her, because then you're, and you're sick though. You, I was just really miserable. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk down the hall and I, you know, but this, you know, and the pain, like still having pain. And see, that was a time too. I remember Dr. Murray calling me then. I was in the hospital and he said to me, Sherry, four days post lap you should be you should be doing better but i would say that to the doctor like why am i not mm-hmm. like you know and then it was like oh your potassium is very low we've got to give you potassium this morning and now I, when i give potassium I, it burns so bad when it goes in <coughs> and i lay there and i was like i think i'm just gonna die like it was just like i know i didn't know what to do like and you know, like, I that care. And, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy called the nurse's station and said, I want my mom sent somewhere. Which we did talk about, like, Pittsburgh. And then that's mm-hmm. when they took me to Pittsburgh that morning. And then when I went to Pittsburgh, then you realize, then I seen, too, you see that poor care versus, mm-hmm. you know, they wheel you in and put you in this beautiful room i was in a room with two beds with a curtain i wanted to get a shower i hadn't had a shower well there was no hot water in the bathroom 
<laughs> I get up to Pittsburgh, and I was like to that one nurse, like I was just like, I just want to shower so bad, and she was just like, Sherry, we are gonna get you. They would just put me in this beautiful room and mm-hmm. overlook Pittsburgh, and I just felt like. I died and went to heaven, like, because I knew I was going to get taken care of, you know? And yeah. then it was like automatically, docs, docs, mm-hmm. infectious doc changed all those antibiotics and, you know, sent me right down, did a CAT scan and said, you got an abscess. So what would I have done? Laid there and like, like yeah, to die. that's why I kept running a fever. Yeah, I mean, I you were fighting. Knew, you know, why yeah. am I not getting better? And then they take you down and put a drain, they drained it and then they put a like a tube like a drainage port and it just leaked all that for days i had that Ugh. it was just uncomfortable though and then give me dilaudid and my iv and you know worked me up for cancer wanted to make sure i you know my uterus wanted to make sure i didn't have uterine cancer they were like so thorough and that's when you know yeah is when you see it but sometimes people aren't used to really mm-hmm. good care like all the nurses were great. It was just like, it's such a good place. West Penn. Yeah. Oh my. So, to t- go back to when we first started talking. When I was laying there telling Mark, I told him I had an idea of one of my conversations I wanted to have. <laughs> and he he said something. And he said, I don't think you should because you know people from work listen to this. I said, what? And he goes, people from work listen to you. And I said, I don't believe you and I don't want to know that because I don't want anyone from my work or anywhere near me listening to me. I mean, it is out there. It's, it's, you can Google it, but I was like, no. Your podcast? My, what I record, yeah. That's on there? Well, yeah, anyone can hear these. What do you put them on? Your Oh Hey Heather? Yeah. Because I don't think I've ever seen podcasts. Well, because I keep there. everything quiet because I'm literally just doing this. Oh, okay. Like, you can get to it, but I'm only making it accessible so that if anything ever happens to me, people can get to them, but I don't advertise them. I don't push them. I'm not on social media. Like they're, but, but people but know see, they're there because of that, my blog. Heather. You need to do it as like, I listened to one, that Ruth, whatever her name is from Franklin, Tennessee. She, she does her and another girl uh-huh. lady do one and they have a certain thing they talk about. And they're kind of good. I could see you doing that. You almost need to do it in a, that kind of forum where you, that's where you're going to, can you make money on it or not really? I don't, I mean, people can, I mean, you, if you get all out there and publicize all that, but if I do it for that, then I don't do it for the right reason. Like I'm literally the, just doing this. But I mean, because, that's the tell your story kind of thing. Yeah. Like, so yeah, that's, that's there and that's but, what I want. I, yeah. I want to capture stories of all the people that are. You know, so that we can learn human life stories that are real and hopefully help people find quality in their present moment. But it it kind of rattled my cage a little bit because I wasn't thinking twice about not talking about my topic I wanted to do. 
and now I am, and now I'm up, I'm like, oh. What's your topic that you want to? Tits. <laughs> I was going to call it, don't show your tits. Because <laughs> there's so many stories about how I really just wish people would not show them. Like, because I'm thinking about like, all right, I'm doing these things that I know anyone could listen to, and I probably cuss, I drop on to say weird things, or maybe I even say things that, I should have rethought how I said it. Maybe I've offended someone. I Who knows? But I would not show my chest. Ever. Like, ever. Like, you couldn't pay me. And why? Because I don't want my dad. I don't want my kids. I don't want anyone to see my chest. I don't, I don't know. If, however, I was raised. Because I see all these women now. They're all like, oh, look at my tits. I remember Jeremy and Adrian going... Like, they'd go on those Hawking Hills. They'd have that house. Mm-hmm. And she said that the girls would take their tops off and swim with no tops on. But she wouldn't. Because I said, I'm proud of you. Because that's just... Well, that's that's kind of where I was going to get into the whole husband, conversation. All their husbands and boyfriends are there. That's what and I'm the, saying. The chicks are all swimming with their shirts off. So, so there's there's... I got two of them. One, when we were in Mexico, we went with our friends, we two couples, and I even have joked around because, you know, I'm, I'm not, like, I definitely need to lose 25 pounds, easily, 20, 25 pounds, I could, before I would ever even consider, and even then I wouldn't because I wouldn't feel comfortable walking around in a bikini in front of other people, and there's nothing wrong with it, it's like, fine, whatever, I just, it's just not me, it's just, I'm not comfortable, I don't even wear open-toed sho- shoes to work. Isn't that weird? I always want to have my toes covered. I, I think people look beautiful in sandals. I don't care. I see people in bikinis. I'm like, you rock, you go, girl. <sighs> anyway, I wear conservative tankini at best, and it, I'm fine. And I wear cover-ups when I'm not in the water or laying out. Mm-hmm. But here's this other couple set. So there's the, the two couples, and the one woman is sitting there, with no top on. So the four of them are hanging out, just like the four of us are hanging out on the other side of the pool, but one of them doesn't have a top on. In, in Mexico? Do yeah, they do and that I'm like, in Mexico? I mean, see, every Aruba, now and then. Aruba, you yeah. see that, like topless. But, could you, but I'm like, could you imagine, like, you're going to go home and you, I saw your tits. Like, isn't that weird? Like, she's just well, sitting there, and, and then she wasn't even all that. I mean, she was probably. Well, she's well over 200 pounds. And they were off to the side, so like the nipples were facing down at the pool. But she's sitting there, flopping out like that. Well, like there's me and my husband with my boobs hanging out. And then here's this lady and her husband. And we're all ha-ha-ha taking drinks and yelling at the bartender. Yeah. See, that's, that's, that's mental disturbance. I think people that do that are like... That that's just not even in front of all them other people. That's what I mean. It's like you're gonna go home and then I'm like, whoops, all her tits in Mexico. But then I'm thinking maybe they, she always does because, so, so, Mark's brother has a friend. That, he because we talked about this before and and uh, my sister in law was like, oh yeah, we have a couple that does that. And I was like, what do you mean? Like like you're there? And she's like, yep. And she's a larger woman, and. She, whenever they go out on their boat, she drops her top down. See, because she wants attention. That's but attention I'm like, seeking. That's why I'm like, how, 
Like, where is that? I, again, I, I more power to you. I don't care whatever if you want your tits out. But I, I just don't want everyone to know what I look like. I, that's like a private thing that I would rather just keep between me well, and my person. Well, because that's the way we're supposed to be. Is it some modesty? Yeah, it's like, like I'm not ashamed. I'm just private. I don't. It's none of your damn business. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like any of that. So that's where I was just like, if I but look at the world today, though. But every time I watch a movie and I see someone's tits and I didn't need to, it makes me mad for them, because I'm thinking, if I'm a A-list Hollywood actress and I can pick a role, not pick a role, whatever, and I'm in a movie, and there is a scene that means nothing whether you see my boobs or not, and you make me show my boobs, I would say, no, I'm not showing my boobs. But they like like that. Like it's and that's always anymore. Do you know I watched a movie on, you know, the, you know, the British actress, what's her name? Emma Thompson. Uh-huh. Like, older lady. Like, yeah. I like her. Uh-huh. I seen she was in it, and I thought, well, that's kind of good. Well, she hires this young guy for sex. And it was just like, she showed her whole naked body. Stand in front of a mirror. Emma Thompson. Like, what are we coming to? She's older. What is she? She's probably older than me. This is her way of saying I can do it too. But that's what but, I'm saying. And like, then the whole thing. And then I thought, this is what we're making today. That's a movie. And then there was another one with Morgan Freeman mm-hmm. called the Something of Love. And it was like how different relationships. And the one guy in it I like. I don't even remember his name. And different little stories about how and how and they kind of connected and about falling in love and the next thing you know it was like there's a chick in there totally naked and like doing it and having sex with a guy and they're showing and then then she stands up and she's totally naked like and I was just shocked you know like that's what I'm saying like why and and see I think it's getting it's that is a real problem I think it's everything's sexual it's disgusting and it's well it's desensitizing to people too to say that it's well it's just nothing to it there they are yeah but your body is not valued you're a temple a woman's body yeah is a gift like and it should be treated but women don't even treat their own bodies like that that's what I mean it makes me sad because it is there is no point like it did not take away from the story the movie and it's been always like i could have not seen them and i didn't miss like i cannot think of one time i needed to watch a movie where if i hadn't seen the boobs Uh except for total recall because the chick had three of them but you still could have put a bikini on them or a topper or two of them yeah at least two like show me the third one so i can but anyway, yeah. So that was my whole point was I was going to explain how. But they got to get that in there. But you know that's even been something way back in the nineties and stuff. Though it got real big like that. But see, that's right. Every I think. show had to have. I think whenever the demons are in charge, man, everything goes to sex. It's because men want to see it, so they got to put some nudity in there. And, and then, then, but my thing is, is like I know my husband doesn't. And like he would have been like, I didn't need to see it either. That's fine. And like now. I think everything. You just, it's everywhere. Wait, it's going to be on regular TV. Well, I mean, we look at award, I can't even watch award shows now. I mean, now they got people like humping on beds that are stages and half dressed and like even that time like Miley Cyrus getting butt plumped up by the Robin Thicke guy and I'm like, what? Why? 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 Because there's no yeah. values anymore. Like no moral. It's morality. It's. It's just moral behavior, like the human body and 
see, I look at it. I'm, I've gotten, though, that's where, and sometimes it's bad, like, like sex, I think, especially getting older. And some of us nurses would say the same thing. And it was like, you know what it is? I, the human body, I have viewed the human body in such ways that I find it repulsive. Like, I'm true. I, I, I would... Like, one day over at work, I remember, um, she's only in her 40s. Her husband works over there, too. Chris was my buddy. Like, he was, like, in his early 50s, and, you know, he's a nurse, mm-hmm. too. And she would be like, you know, I was thinking one day I went home, and, like, we were, like, I was, like, in bed, and I was, like, thinking, feeling to myself, like, you know what? I don't want to see any more. I have seen more dicks, <laughs> like, <laughs> in, in the job and, like, disgustingly mm-hmm. that I don't even want this <laughs> and she's young and I was laughing because I was like thinking I got that a little bit like I started like you've seen it so much mm-hmm. I held urinals for him you know mm-hmm. you you catheterize you you know penises penises penis I see more penises <laughs> and vaginas and like bodies that they start getting like it's like grotesque to me mm-hmm. and I was like this could be a real thing yeah and, and that's and then, and then a couple other girls were saying the same. They were like, yes, you know, I get like that. I'll go home, and I just feel like, ooh, like, there's some disgusting bodies. And then when you see them in the shape that they're in and, like, the different issues, it just becomes, like, I can't stand the sight of a penis anymore. Like, ooh. <laughs> and, of course, probably didn't help most of them were older. But, I mean, not all of them. Well, I, I've seen some really young I don't know. But it would just be like, oh, like I can't stand. I don't want to be at her age and she's just standing. Well, and that's where it's like, I don't want to totally naked and she's like putting her hand on her belly and because she never enjoyed her body because she had a husband like she was telling him, my husband for 30 some years, every such one night a week, you know, he just, we would have take our clothes off and get into bed and he would get on top of me and touch just a little bit and then boom 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 and then he'd roll off me and <laughs> she's telling this young guy that you know he's gonna show her that her body is in love and I don't know but see again it, it could have been a great movie why do you have to show me your naked body yeah you don't ever have to be naked to understand that but we're living in a world though where that's what I'm saying. It's 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 a collapse of it reality. Is. And you know, you can't like I always say they talk about things like laws and you can't you can't law people in like morality yeah. is inside and that you feel, you know, yeah, what happened to the fact that I know that women they're women covering their bodies. Yeah. Do do you know and I don't, I don't agree with this, but I thought to myself, you know how the different nationality or what, what's the, like, not just the Muslim or whatever, the ones mm-hmm. where they cover themselves so much. I see where, you know, chubby and she's just laying there going, you know, and they're doing that. Like, <laughs> and, I thought, and then this other lady, I'll never forget seeing this lady on, she's sitting on the beach, sitting there like this and she, she takes off her top, and then it isn't very long. Here comes this little kid running up, running up, running up, just latches on. <gasps> He's like walking about this tall, this little kid, and latched right on her boobs. She just 
out there like that. It was just oh my weird. Goodness. That's weird. <laughs> like, oh, you people. But there were men. There were guys that had um, seen a lot of G-string things with men walking around. Yeah. Look at the nudist things. Like, why would people... I just, uh, yeah, it's been going on a long time. Yeah. Why you want to go? I don't know. Be naked with a bunch of people. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, ha- I don't feel that. I don't like that. And I wouldn't want, I would feel bad for Mark. Like, I don't, I wouldn't want everyone to know what his things look like any more than I don't want him to worry about other people knowing what mine look like. Like, I don't know. It's. That's, just, that's, that's the way a marriage should be, is it's kind of private. Mm-hmm. You, those are why they call them privates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's people out there that would want to debate it, but I just don't like it. And when I see someone's boobs and I didn't have to, like I was watching that staircase and Tony Collette, I love that actress, she's laying in this bathtub and there's her boobs. I'm like, I didn't need to do, didn't need to do that. Didn't You could have even had a wash rag on them if you wanted to get that. Bubbles. Yeah. Because they're, do they're writing that in scripts. They must want that. They're wanting... Because that's the world we live in Boops, now, boops. Nudity is going to be just nakedness. And then what's that lead to? See, it, it's look what it leads to. It's mm-hmm. a lot of... That's what I'm saying. Like, I started to watch this documentary, and I had to shut it off because it disgusted me to the utmost... Ugh. Porn is now way... Like, there's now categories within categories... And there are things that are horribly, disgustingly awful to barely legal, if at all legal, young women who are being abused. Disgustingly. And they're letting them. Because they're getting so many million clicks and they're getting so much money. And then you see them afterwards and you can tell these girls are like soul stripped. Just disgusting and then people are watching and clicking and clicking and clicking I'm like that's disgusting like I think that that should be just as illegal to view as it would be like children and that that needs to quit being filmed immediately that's just disgusting that's, that's someone's that's daughter that's me. a child it's well, disgusting with, um, like, like the technology of like porn and stuff why why is it even allowed to be on like it's just the fall of a country in a way. Like you're, like why can you even go to those kind of sites and like, ugh. That's where I, I, they I just. look at the people that are di- addicted to it. Yeah. Men and women. Mm-hmm. And I think, ooh, I don't even know because I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to one, ooh, that's like. But then they say there's couples that watch porn. Look at couples that do that together. That's good. That adds. Well, that's why I feel like I, I, I feel like it's not. It's I hate that everything's black and white, black and white. I don't know that it should be eliminated from the planet. I'm just saying that there are boundaries of. Just come on, like that's just. But they're taking it. Yeah. Are there because they've taken it so far? Yeah. But then it's going to get so degraded. Yes. They're like disgusting, yeah. disrespectful, gross. Because plain old sex isn't enough anymore. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it just keeps getting more desensitized. it's just physical. It's not yeah. an emotional connection, what sex yeah, is Yeah, because nobody has... A, yeah, relationships aren't... Nope, it's just physical. That's why the mental deterioration everywhere. Just have sex with whoever you can. 
so that you're attracted. You mm-hmm. you'll look good. You'll be attracted. But then there's no substance. There's no relationship. It's. I watch the reality shows that break my heart. Couples where they just switch yeah. partners or orgy type things. They have like everybody over and that's you. Gross. Like, could you imagine like? No. No. Like that's like animals. Like it just, is, and there's no way you would ever have. Yeah. No intimacy. No love. No. No. It's sad. No, I couldn't stand that. But there are a lot of men who do that all the time. Just watch that all. Could you? Could you like if Mark watched that all the time? No, it would make me feel as if I'm inadequate. Right. It wouldn't help my relationship. I mean, in the at old all. days, it was you know magazines. They Playboy magazines, or guys would look at, and that's just. But some women don't even care. Like, I don't know. They accept that. They'll say, "Yeah, it's just what men do." Well, their parents probably did it or something. I don't know. Or how Adam said he's seen his first. Yeah, because that one neighbor guy had those. <laughs> when he said that, he goes, I know i seen a naked woman way before he should have that time. He mm-hmm. was... And who would have thought? Look at Cindy Niven. She puts up with that? Like, yeah. Just... <coughs> no. But they go to those. They would go to Myrtle Beach. He would go to Myrtle Beach golfing. You know what's in Myrtle Beach is a lot of strip places, and I bet you men go golfing, and that's what they go to and watch dancers, and, and then their wives don't, don't even care. Just it's definitely not the criteria of my husband. Thank the mm. Lord. Ugh. Well, anyway. Speaking of, I got my, uh, mine's texting me. Are you coming home? <laughs> I was like, oh shoot, it's really late. <laughs> See ya. Feel bad, Don't feel bad. He knew, I, we talked about this. That's why we were laughing and we talked about boobies and he let me know that my podcast is heard by more people than I realized. I mean, I saw that it's gotten like, you know, it's up there in a few hundreds, but I didn't know. Did you put that on? You haven't done that one yet, though. Right? I don't talk about. I don't talk about anything with my job. I don't know. I don't. I don't ever. I will never, ever, 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 ever do that. I don't talk about where I work. I don't talk about what I do. I, I talk generally about all of my career paths and things. So but he didn't want. You I to want put everything one private. On there about. Well, he was just laughing, letting me know that people are listening to me, and you might not want to just spend a whole time talking about boobs. I thought, oh, what do you mean? I didn't know that. So now I'm second-guessing well, myself. Like, maybe I should quit talking. Maybe I should quit doing this. And I'm like, don't do that. You always let that little mean person say those things. And don't stop. It's just throw them. Just what it is. People don't. It's what they want to do what they think people want them to do. And we got to just do what we want to do. That's or within is it, reason. Or and is kind. it just that I really look good and I feel good about myself? I'm going to show you. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that, it amazes me too. Like, why does people... It always amazed me. Why do people do all those... Look at all the selfie shit that went on for all that those years of like... That was such a big thing and everybody's... Duck lips. Doing <laughs> pictures of themselves. Like... Yeah. I, I hate doing pictures. I can't stand to see myself in a picture. <laughs> and you think, what is it in them that is it that they just think they look really good or they look good and they want to show you how good I look? Well, I think it's because they need someone to let them know they look good because they want someone, they want to look good. You know what I mean? Like, it's outward support 
to to fill an inward gap. Every day, you know, they'd have a picture. We'll see. Yeah, she she would do that too a lot. Like, mm-hmm. and she is a pretty girl. That's, That's what I'm saying. Some of them they're gorgeous. People are beautiful. I'm like, to... why do you need everyone else to accept see, it or say it? But because they don't. They don't see it. It's different. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Or you still need validation, maybe. I don't know. And you know, if you do, you do, but just don't show your boobs. (laughs) Like, just don't. (laughs) Leave it a mystery. Sometimes it's good to have something to look forward to finding out. You know what women do when they go to Mardi Gras? You know what that is all about? Then you get beads. Yeah. See, where did that? That's been well, it's kind of like that trip. one that one girl that went on that trip with us, <laughs> and she showed she flashed the camera when you right. knew that they were going to take our photos, and then she got offended that we saw her boobs. Well, I'm like, well, show, yeah, somebody takes a picture. It's like it's a public website, and you search for what time you were on the mountainside, and then you find your photo of you driving on the it was the dragon tail, you know. So they they have these tents set up where these photographers sit all day long, and every time somebody goes by. And then you look at your watch and you know that's your time. So then you get on this website and there's hundreds of photos and then you find your time. And then you get your picture and then you can buy it if you want. So after you're like fourth or fifth curve, like me and Mark, that's why we have that funny one where I'm like doing the peace sign. And I'm like, Ugh. and she flashed it, showed her boobs. I was like, well, each their own. But she was so offended that we we'll <laughs> saw it. And I'm like, how could we have not? Yeah, that's called regret. Yeah. See, once you do it, but yeah, why would you? You'd think she'd be, yeah, frustrated at herself. Why did I do that? Well, I think she did it for him. I think he was wanting her to do that because well, she's a very shocking. attractive woman, and they were dating, and he was like, "Let's do it," because they people men, do that. There's probably men that would like their women to do that's, that. That's I. That's what I mean. I think he was like he thought and it was men, hot. Men though tend to be more. This isn't the typical possessive or like they don't want other men to look at their women so see that's a whole nother issue so mm-hmm. why is that why are there men that would they want to see what i got yeah I don't know. look what i got I, that's mine right there mine yeah, look what i got mm-hmm. but most of the time men are you know you don't yeah show your body oh human behavior <laughs> Oh. And the human body, which is so disgusting. These people would just think it's really disgusting. Oh. Uh, well, I'll keep mine all tucked in. <laughs> this has been fun. Isn't this fun? Will you do it again? Yeah, but I don't have anything really good. I, I want to be really good at it. I don't know what to talk about that would be really good. I think it's really good when it's just really us doing regular talk. That's one thing I've learned. If I ever try to write things down of what I want to say or what I want to talk about, it doesn't, it's not normal. I don't know.